Back in the early 1970s, a young singer was on his way to stardom, if, if you will. He had been a backup singer in the 60s uh, for Janis Joplin. And he had found himself, as his musical career had been progressing, being pushed to the front of the stage as a lead singer because no one had heard a voice quite like his. He was living a wild, hippie lifestyle until God got a hold of him. And he surrendered his life to Jesus and became part of a Christian band. Well, shortly after that, um, some members of a non-Christian startup band approached him about being their lead singer. And he thought about it, but he turned them down because he, he said that if God had given him this amazing singing voice, then he only wanted to use it to glorify God. So by rejecting that offer to be the lead singer of the band that we would know as REO Speedwagon, he turned down millions of dollars, worldwide fame, because he wanted to honor the source of his vocal gifts. This past week, we experienced camp in the city. And I think what inspired me the most about all the things that happened were these college kids, these counselors. And as I looked at them working with our children and with the children in the community, I kept thinking, you know, they, they could have spent the summer doing an internship. That would have looked a whole lot better on their resume as, they, as they're all in college trying to study to get that first job. They could have had a job this summer that paid a whole lot more than what Camp in the City is able to pay them. But what made these kids, kids, these college students, these young adults, do what they were doing is because they knew that God had given them unique gifts to work with children. And they wanted to use those gifts for God. Now, these two examples that I shared with you are very different, but they're very much the same because they're two different ways of surrendering our gifts to God. In our scripture passage today, Paul is reminding all of us that the gifts we have The gifts to do anything, they're not for ourselves. They should be used for God. Paul writes to the church in in Corinth that in every way, each one of us has been enriched by God, every one of us, with unique spiritual gifts. Yeah, even you. God has gifted you with something more than one in ways that he wants you to use to share with the world. God has handpicked certain gifts for you. Handpicked just for you. And God wants us to remember that those gifts, those abilities that he gives us, 
aren't to bring glory to ourselves, but to him. In verse 5, Paul tells the, the Corinthian church what their gifts are. He says, you've been enriched by God in both speech and knowledge. What they say and what they know are gifts that God has given them. Let's admit it. Sometimes we're tempted to brag about what we know, right? We want to correct people. I mean, I was an English major, bad grammar. I always want to correct it. We want to be the expert in something. Maybe, maybe that's just my temptation. But when we do that, what are we doing? Think about it. We're, we're taking credit for knowledge that comes from God for ourselves. We're saying that anything we're able to do is because we're able to do it. For example, I, I hope I never think I'm a good preacher. That's the biggest doom I could have in my life. My prayer is that I'll always understand that God may have given me the ability to do this, and hopefully not too shabbily. In verse 6, Paul says that the working of God in our lives is proof about what Paul had told them about the saving message of Jesus. The Corinthians didn't try to promote their church. They didn't try to promote their own ministries. They, they didn't try to outdo the church in, Eph- in Ephesus. Well, you know, the church in Ephesus did this. We can do better. That's not what they were about. Paul says they lived, they breathed, they taught, they promoted, and they loved people by promoting Jesus. And by doing this, by promoting Jesus, it empowered them for ministry. When I watched the energy of the camp and the city counselors this past week, wow. Y'all know that they jumped up and down for 45 minutes as kids were arriving every day? 45 minutes, their leg muscles must have been that big around. I knew their energy didn't come from caffeine because they didn't have a crash later on in the day. They still had that same energy. That energy came because they weren't here to promote camp in the city. They weren't here to promote their parent organization, Pine Cove. They were here because they loved Jesus. That was the source of their energy. See, when the early church infiltrated the world of the Roman Empire in the first century, it wasn't to just start a new movement. They were spreading the news of the crucified and physically resurrected Christ. If we are going to be a faithful and effective church, our motivation must always be Jesus. And only Jesus. We don't serve in the church because, well, we need something to do. We don't volunteer because we want to show everybody what we can do. We use the gifts that we have because we know that since God gave those gifts to us, we should use them to make God look good.
We use them for his glory. In verse 7, Paul says that God has given them every spiritual gift they need to be a faithful church until Christ comes again. How do we take that, what he said to the Corinthians, and apply it here? Let's take camp in the city, for example. We planned this for a year. Twelve months. We started praying. And for camp in the city to actually happen, it took people with the spiritual gift of financial giving. Yeah, y'all, that's a spiritual gift. It took people with the spiritual gift of administration. It took people with the spiritual gift of hospitality and the spiritual gift of patience. It took people with the spiritual gift of speaking and promotion. None of us has all of these. But together, we came together like the faithful church of Corinth. And it happened because we used the gifts God gave us. They're all different. We brought it together and this happened. I want us to switch topics for a minute. Hopefully we'll see how it's connected so we'll find a way to land this plane eventually. Let's talk about something that's kind of connected to this but it's not as much fun to talk about. Some of you may have heard or read about recent studies on clergy burnout. You know, pastors who just quit the ministry. The statistics tell us that half of all seminary graduates are out of ministry in five years. Half. Studies have been done. Um because that's a startling number and we've discovered that some of them get discouraged. Some of them leave ministry because they tire of congregational whining and complaining. Of course, that never happens here, right? They feel like they're not making a difference in the world. Nobody's listening to them. There are lots of reasons. So these pastors leave ministry to do other things And they're leaving behind the call of God on their lives. They're leaving behind the spiritual gifts for ministry God has given them. Let me tell you, in my 24 years of ministry, I've also seen something else that isn't talked about very often. And it's similar. It's ministry burnout by lay people. The people in the pews, as we like to call you all. Y'all get tired of volunteering all the time. You get weary with service in the church. You get bored by church. Is that guy ever going to be quiet? Sometimes lay people don't feel appreciated. Or they feel like they're stuck doing the same thing in the church till Jesus comes or calls. You know, maybe clergy and lay people forget why we're serving. Why are we volunteering in the church? Why are we worshiping God? 
Maybe we're trying to do things by ourselves and for ourselves and by our own strength. In verse 8, Paul writes, The Lord Jesus will keep you strong right up to the end. See, don't believe what the world tells you. You cannot strengthen yourself. It's a lie to think that you can. You cannot take care of yourself. You cannot keep yourself motivated. If we want to do anything in the name of Jesus, it should be God's strength and not our own that empowers us because God's strength is everlasting. When we try to do anything by our own strength, we crash and burn, we get fatigued, we get weary, we get filled with doubts. Doubts come when we start relying on ourselves. You know, this week we've seen police shooting people in custody. We've seen police murdered trying to protect the very people who are protesting the police. I don't think the answer to these problems, I don't think the answers are new laws. I don't think the answer to these issues is just increased dialogue. I may be idealistic here. I've been accused of that before. But I think the answer to all this anger in our society is Jesus. And Jesus coming alive in people's lives. It's people surrendering their lives and their issues and their rights to Jesus Christ. But the question we don't want to ask is this. Who's going to tell the angry mob about the saving message of Jesus? We can't wait for somebody else to do it has to begin with us. See, these early Christians were beaten. They were imprisoned. They were murdered. You know, that could have caused some pretty big discouragement. Peter says, you know, y'all go out and preach. Yeah, but they might hit us with rocks and throw us in jail. Okay, go out and preach. They didn't try to have laws passed that would protect them. This persecution only encouraged them more because their motivation came from the Holy Spirit. See, the gifts that God has given us are not for ourselves. They're not for our own abilities. They're they're, they're given to us by God for other people. Our nation desperately needs the gifts that God has given you. Our nation needs committed Christians in the public schools. Our nation needs committed Christians in law enforcement. Our nation needs committed Christians in corporate boardrooms and on assembly lines and wherever it is that you work. God has given you gifts 
to minister to people right where you are. And the truth is that we can only discover what these gifts God has given us are when we give our lives to Jesus. Because until we give our lives to Jesus, we can't truly see who we are. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, wrote something pretty shocking. He wrote that when he was ordained an Anglican priest, he didn't know Jesus. Isn't that crazy? The founder of Methodism was a pastor who, when he was ordained, didn't know who Jesus was. It wasn't until years later when he had a conversion experience during a Bible study at a friend's house in London that he finally knew what it meant to live a Christ-surrendered life. And when John Wesley gave his life to Jesus, completely to Jesus, he was able to see himself differently. And he began to discover these gifts in his life, these spiritual gifts that had been lying dormant for years. And the Methodist movement changed the world. See, when we use the gifts that God has given us, we become the love of God in the world. How are people going to know that God loves them unless we tell them? And y'all, if you watch the news, our world desperately needs to know how deeply God loves them. Have you given your life completely to Jesus Christ? Maybe part of it. That's great. But all of it? And now the tough question Have we given this church completely to Christ? Because listen, if if this is our church, then it's not Christ's church. And then we've got a problem. See, the Corinthian church that Paul was writing to was part of a movement of the Holy Spirit. That's God's desire for every congregation. That we would be a movement. And that begins when the people who make up the congregation are empowered by the Holy Spirit with the gifts that God has given them. And I don't know about you, but I want to be part of that kind of church. Because that's when you see Jesus things happen. Unexpected Jesus things. And it changes communities. Camp in the city. That's a movement. We have no idea what happened in the lives of those children. God does. And we allowed that to happen because we all came together, didn't we? And it was beautiful. Let's pray.